Someone was lying in the coffin. But how did he get there? Kara whispered. He wasn't there a second ago. She squeezed my arm. But I didn't really feel the pain. I was too excited, too amazed, too confused to feel anything. How did he get there? Who was he? Is he dead? Kara asked. I didn't answer. I crept up to the coffin and shone my light in. The man was old and completely bald. His skin stretched tight against his skull, smooth as a light bulb. His eyes were shut. His lips were as pale as his skin, drawn tightly together. He had tiny, white hands, thin as bones. They were crossed over his chest. He was dressed in a black tuxedo. The stiff collar of his white shirt pressed up against his pale cheeks. I wanted to leave. I wanted to get away from there as fast as I could. But something held me there. Something froze me in place, staring at the pale old face. At the old man lying so still, so silent in the purple coffin. And as I stared, the old man opened his eyes, blinked, and started to sit up. Hello. And welcome. To Say Podcast and Die. The podcast where two queers sit in their closet and tell you about Goosebumps. I'm Andy. And I'm Alyssa. And we are here to talk to you about Goosebumps number 49. Vampire, Vampire Breath. Breath. Uh, neither of us had read this one. No. We are we are squarely in neither of us have read this one territory. Yeah, this is all, all new. All new and not disappointing, actually. Yeah. Let's get into it. The cover is a picture of a coffin against a stone wall on a wooden floor. There is a gray vampire with kind of Commedia dell'arte makeup <laughs> on. He's got kind of the mime diamond painted around his eyes. And he's coming out of the coffin. And there's a bottle of vampire breath on the floor in front of him that's that's fallen open. And he's either inhaling it or exhaling his breath into it. It's very unclear. Yeah, there's a line of steam from the opening of the bottle to his mouth. And he's holding some flowers that are dead, which I think leads us to to assume that vampire breath doesn't smell very good. Right. It has a joke on it uh, on the, the tagline is open wide and say mouthwash. Yeah. This is what would have kept me from picking up this book as a kid, actually. I, I was very scared of vampires oh. and very interested in vampire stories. Yeah. Actually, I remember when I was about four, for one Halloween, we had gone to Children's Company, which was the toy store in town, and I got to pick out a puzzle, and it was a puzzle of Bella Lugosi uh, dressed up as Dracula coming out of a coffin. And I was too scared to put it together. Oh! <laughs> what was it about vampires that scared you so much? I'm sure there's something psychoanalytically rich in there, but <laughs> I just really thought that they were going to suck my blood in the middle of the night. Yeah, I just found it really deeply scary for no apparent reason. <laughs> do, you, do you have a theory? No, I don't. But let's get into it. Maybe we'll find out. Okay. Well, anyway, I would have avoided this one because... The mouthwash part is a little silly. The yeah. bad breath thing, you know? Yeah. I feel like we're kind of leaning into the comedy side of the horror comedy with this cover image. Yeah, I feel like we have lost some of the seriousness of the beginning of the series. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's fine. That's also really common, I think, for a horror franchise. Bat's eye view of the plot. We follow Freddie Martinez and his best friend, Cara Simonetti. And they like wrestling each other. They babysit together, and one day they go down to hang out in Freddy's basement, and they find a secret door that leads to a tunnel with a coffin, and at first there's nothing in the coffin except a bottle that says vampire breath, and then they open it, and then an old man vampire materializes in it. He doesn't have his fangs, he doesn't know where he is, 
they open the thing again and they time travel back to 1880. We learn that he used to live in this castle full of dozens of vampires. The kids try to escape. Oh, his name is Count Nightwing. He wants them to find... Which, isn't that the name of the camp in in, in the most recent Fear Street? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Yes, Maybe it it's is. named after him. In his honor. <laughs> And yeah, so they they try to escape. He wants them to find vampire breath because it does many things for him, which we'll get into. They find some, they tussle over it. It takes them back to their time, but it takes him with it. And they're all scared that he's going to get them. But then mom and dad come in and they say, oh, and mom says, daddy, you woke up. And he says, Cynthia. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 1880. Named his daughter Cynthia. That's how Freddie finds out he is a vampire who will eventually get his fangs. Probably soon, because they also meet a child vampire when they're in the castle who's about their age, and she has her fangs. Well, let's get into that later, yeah. But this is the, again, Arl Stein is revisiting his greatest hits, and this is kind of Terror Tower meets... Girl Who Cried Monster. Exactly. Yes. It's the Girl Who Cried Monster ending for sure. Mm -hmm. So we actually open with werewolf breath. Uh, Freddy is telling a second-person point-of-view werewolf story to Tyler, who he's babysitting. It's like, you feel the werewolf breathing on you, and it freezes you in place. That makes it easier when it rips off your skin. It's this very intense story, and his friend, Carl, who they're they're both the twelve year old babysitters keeps butting in to say that it's too scary for Tyler he'll have nightmares and Freddie keeps saying no I love he loves it he loves it yeah and then Freddie tickles Tyler till he can't breathe and then he starts wrestling with Kara till she punches him so hard he sees red and yellow stars uh, and also when he tickles Tyler he says I'm a good babysitter I always know when to stop tickling yeah I just, my notes say dot 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 question mark. Yeah, I just—he's a very physically intense child. He is, I will say. Yeah, uh, which is something we haven't gotten in. Uh, we've gotten a lot of indoor children uh, <laughs> in the Goosebumps series, but the last couple have been, you know, identified with their punching ability. That's true. I thought it was interesting. You know, in the last book, I kept thinking Drew was a boy. In this one, I was like, oh, Freddy's another name where this could be a girl character or a boy character. And, you know, he turns out to be a boy. But I wondered if R.L. Stein was leaving them purposely gender vague so that then Scholastic could say, ah, we need a boy one, you know? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, so change it. Yeah. Especially because of all of the wrestling that they do. And I was wondering if at one point they were same gendered and somebody was like, no. Or like, yeah, we need a girl character. So two boys wrestling each other. I don't know. Or it was two girls and people were like, this is reading strange. I don't know exactly. But yeah, it, it was odd. Something's going on with gender in this book in the last. It seems like there are conversations happening to the side that we aren't privy to <laughs> in, in Scholastic's offices. But yeah, so these are a couple of tough kids. They've been friends since fourth grade when he beat her up, but she tells everyone it was the other way around. And this book is really about really them not wanting to admit they're afraid ever. So basically the whole plot is driven forward by them daring each other to do stuff and having to confront their limits. Tyler's dad comes home, babysitting's over. Next Saturday. No, oh, they get $5. Yeah, pretty sweet. And Tyler's dad's like, do you want me to walk you home? And they're like... No, we're tough kids. We live across the street. That too. <laughs> so that Saturday, Kara comes over to play air hockey because they have the sweet basement set up. Yeah, they have a pool table and a jukebox with records. We learn that Freddie's parents are gone a lot. They, quote, go out a lot, and immediately I was suspicious. Yeah, I was wondering about that, and it didn't really put it together until they revealed that they go out a lot because they're vampires. Although it's surprising they're going out during the day. Maybe they're just in their coffins. Something. Yeah, I don't know. We also learned that Freddie and Kara's air hockey games often end in wrestling. 
It's something they really almost seem to look forward to about the games. The game seems like a pretext for the wrestling. I guess it makes sense if Freddy is a vampire, he's a predator, right? So mm-hmm. it's like a baby lion. He wants to be, yeah. you know, play fighting all the time to yeah, practice. that's true. So yeah, they're kicking and shoving. Kara shoves Freddy into the china cabinet, which is also in the basement next to the air hockey table, which is which is a choice. And it falls over. Yeah, why did they put it there? That's a good point. I was like so frustrated at them breaking the china cabinets. I was also getting stressed. I was like, they're going to be in so much trouble. Yeah, exactly. They're not. No. Which is nice. And also, yeah, that wasn't a good place to put that. No. <laughs> and yeah, so it falls over. Everything's broken. But behind it turns out to have been a secret doorway. Oh my God, this is every kid's dream, right? That's the thing. That's what I wrote my notes is it feels like it speaks to something really exciting that I would have I would have found exciting as a kid that there's some buried and ancient secret and it's in your own home and you don't even have to go outside for it. <laughs> yeah, you actually get to go into a dark tunnel for it. Yeah, it's a perfect homebody, pale kid fantasy. <laughs> yeah, and it, it totally delivers, too. I like that they just, they go in and then they, like, basically immediately find a vampire. There's not a lot of, oh, it looks like it's just an empty room. But then later I heard scratching or something, yeah. right? We don't drag it out. Yeah, we jump right into the plot, which I appreciated. They go exploring in the tunnel. They get flashlights. There's moss and puddles and it's really cold. And they kind of keep messing with each other the whole time. They remind me a lot of the friends in Phantom of the Auditorium. Mm-hmm. And then they finally find a room with a coffin in it. And inside is a bottle of vampire's breath. This gave me my hairiest adventure vibes. Yeah, I, I put that too. And I was also thinking about monster blood. I was actually wondering if they might be from a similar company. Like, it seems like the people who manufacture monster blood might manufacture vampire (laughs) breath. That's interesting. I didn't even think of it as being manufactured, but of course it is because it has a label. Right. Yeah. And the vampires, that's a big question I had about this is where are the vampires supplying all of their vampire breath from? What's the company that's creating and keeping it in limited supply? Well, I mean, vampires typically stand in for like the aristocracy, but it's the 19th century. So maybe this is like a metaphor for capitalism. Or opium. Or opium. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, so they struggle over the bottle, the top pops off, and then there's a really smelly fog, and then that's when they see a body lying in the coffin, wearing an old-fashioned black tuxedo and purple cape and shoes with buttons on them. Yeah, and he sits up and opens his eyes and doesn't know where he is. Uh, He's described as seemingly weightless and skeletal. His name is Count Nightwing, as we mentioned, and he doesn't like loud noises. (laughs) Because the meaning of thirsty has changed, you know, in the ensuing 30 years, I kept just giggling. But also it fits fits for vampires. That's true. They're always being sexy. Yeah, exactly. But this one's his grandfather. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like there was a little bit, this isn't in taxonomies for me, but a little bit of an Oedipus skipping a generation story. Kind of, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They try to run away, but it turns out the door doesn't have a knob on on this side. And then he grabs Kara, but realizes something is wrong. There's very serious stranger danger, like predator vibes here. Oh, yeah. The description says his silvery eyes opened wide with excitement. His tongue darted back and forth over his caked, dry lips. And it's like, yeah, that's... That's sexualized, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, and also I just want to make clear, I'm not just saying Oedipus because of, like, interfamilial incest. I'm saying Oedipus because of misrecognizing your own family member. So not see- seeing them and not knowing that they're your father, or in this case, grandfather. Mm-hmm. And that's that's when he realizes he has no fangs. Like, oh, where are my teeth? Oh, my God. And there's a really funny part here, too, where Kara whispers to Freddy, let's run past him into the tunnel. And then Count Nightwing blocks their way. Mm-hmm. Freddy's like, whoa, can you read my mind? It's like, <laughs> you... He probably heard what you said. <laughs> you said it out loud. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, exactly like you said. So then, then it's supposed to be funny, like, 
oh, my fangs, where are my teeth? But I also think it's pretty upsetting. He's like, I'm going to starve to death. Yeah. This way. Yeah. And also the joke is, isn't it funny when old people can't find their teeth? I wonder if R.L. Stein still thinks that's a funny joke now. (laughs) That he's 80 or so. Zing. They get back to the coffin. He's looking for the vampire breath because he says it'll take him back to his time, which my immediate note was, will it also take him back to his location? I was wondering that too. Or is this the location? But he lives in a castle and they're in Ohio. Yeah, but maybe there was a was castle there. A castle on a bunch of cliffs? Robert Barron's built castles all over the place. Did, are there cliffs in Ohio? Yeah. Yeah. I've been in Hawking Hills, which is... Is that like the East Coast version of a cliff? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's got drop-offs. Yeah. Okay, okay. No, that's a good question. I mean, there must have been some kind of major earthquake or landscaping effort to turn a castle on a cliff into just some suburban homes. Yeah. So they open it. They find the vampire breath. They open it. There's another smelly fog. And then the kids find themselves transported to a different room filled with two dozen coffins. Thinking about the vampire breath and how it works makes monster blood seem consistent. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we're going to get to a list of all the things vampire breath can do, and I have questions. (laughs) Yeah, so they're in a room that's full of coffins. I guess they jumped to a slightly different place than Count Nightwing. The coffins open. All the vampires say they're thirsty. I giggled again, and then they turned into bats and flew away. And then Count Nightwing shows up, and it's like, why are you here? And they're like, help us get back. And he goes, I'm a vampire, not a magician. I loved that joke. (laughs) It was such a classic dad joke, and I'm here for it. Here's the part I most didn't understand. So he says, as soon as I find my fangs, I'm going to turn you into vampires. And my feeling is, isn't that a good outcome? That's what I thought. Yeah. Why why would you you fight this? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess, surprising for someone who was so scared of vampires as a kid that I also think, well, yeah, you get to be attractive and live forever. Yeah, his solution is basically, oh, the way to get back to your time is just I'll bite you and then you just wait 100 years. Yeah, which uh, the time paradox is this book. Oh, my God. I'm so glad I'm not the only one. It drove me nuts. Okay, so first of all, the idea, then they will come back to the future and I guess, meet themselves, right? And you probably have to like not run into your past self or your parents. Like he probably couldn't have been around his parents. But the one that bothered me even more was, yeah, he will have to like show up the day after they disappear kind of. Yeah. But then the one that bothered me even more was that Count Nightwing goes back in time to find his teeth. But if he goes back to, because that's what he says, I have to go back to when I had them. But if he goes back to 1880 and takes his teeth from himself, (laughs) Yeah. And then the other thing, too, is I made a note about this. They're talking about how in the future, the original timeline, they emptied the bottle of vampire breath. But in the past, it's still full. Yes. I was like, wait, but so objects move through time differently than people move through time. I guess so. Because they didn't change in any way when they traveled. No. They didn't refill with No, they didn't become younger. Yeah. they They didn't wink out of existence. Exactly. So there's a lot that is problematic. I feel like the vampire blood is a very dangerous substance because it is so erratic and inconsistent. Yeah, actually, there's a quote I want to read. All of the things it can do are wild. The kids ask, what is vampire breath exactly? And there's an interesting line Count Nightwing says, which I want to make note of to return to later. He says, we cannot live by blood alone. (laughs) Do you you recognize that reference? Yes, but I don't know where it's from. Do you got a just wild guess where I'd be referencing something from? (laughs) Is it from the Bible? Yes. (laughs) Almost. Man cannot live by bread alone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to return to that in theories. But yeah, tell us, tell us, what does vampire breath do? Well, you know, that's actually Freddy's question, but what does it do for you? 
Everything, Count Nightwing shouted. Vampire breath does everything for a vampire. It allows us to travel in time. It can make us invisible and reappear again. It keeps our skin smooth and clear. It gives us energy. It helps us to sleep. It keeps our bones from drying to powder. It freshens our breath. And then Kara asks, but how's it going to help you find your fangs? Vampire breath restores the memory. When you live for hundreds of years, it's hard to remember things. The vampire breath will help me remember where I put my fangs. It's a kind of the the supplements industry. It's a snake oil. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what's happening. So it's a, it's a cure all. Yeah, it it enhances wellness. Do you think that's why they have all these stocks of it? They're selling it to the other vampires to go sell to more vampires. Oh, that makes this so a pyramid much scheme? sense. <laughs> yes. Oh, poor vampires getting caught up in a pyramid scheme. Yeah. Well, I guess vampirism is kind of set up like a pyramid scheme. You bite someone, and they have to bite someone, and they have to bite someone to and keep ev- living. And eventually, you'll run out of people who can be bitten. Nice, R.L. Stein. Good setup. I love that. <laughs> then Count Nightwing kind of wanders off, and they start looking for a way out. So this is how that conversation goes. Freddy wants to find the vampire breath so they can go back to their time. And Kara wants to run away, which makes no sense. Because otherwise they'll just be in 1880 somewhere, not know where they are. Because she's like, well, run and get help. It's like, help from who? Yeah. But then Freddy's like, yeah, that's that makes sense. It's like, it doesn't. No. So they look around. All the windows are barred. They hear the bats returning. They decide to go into the kitchen because vampires don't eat food, so they'll probably be safe. Oh, and something I noticed is how similar this castle is to the one in How to Kill a Monster, including being full of rooms that have never seemed to be used. They have like an inch of dust on them. An inch of dust is a lot of dust. It really is. Lends further credence to the idea that the grandparents in How to Kill a Monster are perhaps vampires. Mm, yeah. And also, there's a lot of grandparent stuff going on lately, huh? Yeah, yeah. Hmm, wonder what was on Arl Stein's mind. <laughs> Matt was still a teenager. So. That is what the author's note says. Matt's a teenager, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so not looking for grandkids just yet. Well, I don't know. I was pretty young when my mom started <laughs> telling me that I was expected to provide grandchildren. Do you think these these books are his kind of passive yes. way, <laughs> passive-aggressive way of being like, so... When, when am I going to have some grandkids? <laughs> Freddy's idea is they can smash the kitchen window with the skillet. Then they find it just pushes out. Yeah, it was good, <laughs> good discovery. And so Freddy climbs out, and then they realize they're on a cliff. Oh, you know what this reminded me of? Is that scene from Cube where they find a way out, and then it's just hanging over an abyss. Yeah. It's very upsetting. It is. He's about to fall when something with teeth and talons grabs him and then brings him back to the kitchen. It's a giant bat who then turns into Count Nightwing, and he says, get back to finding the stuff. Yeah. So they go into more rooms with coffins, and there's one that's still closed, and they think it's going to have vampire breath in it, and and they say, we're going to use it before he can get here and use it. How? How are they going to do that? Yeah, they don't know how to use it. Like, I don't I don't totally understand how that's going to work, and it's well, it might just make their skin nicer. I mean, not again, not a bad outcome when you're 12. Yeah. But still. <laughs> I thought it was kind of an interesting detail. He says, the inside of the coffin is lined with green felt like our pool table. <laughs> This is, I think, a cheaper one than Count Nightwing had. Oh, maybe. I was just wondering if the pool table was repurposed coffin. Oh, interesting. It was upcycled. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So then they realize they're not alone in the room. There's a girl who is basically Kirsten Dunst from Interview with a Vampire. Spot on. Blonde, curly hair, blue eyes. Yeah. She's their age. And she says she's not a vampire. She's They treat her like a slave. We're back, back in this this territory. And she has to clean and polish all the coffins. And she never wants to become a vampire. And she tells them there's a secret exit. And she'll lead them out. But she's lying. Also, again, why does she have a problem with them turning her into a vampire? Well, she's just pretending to. But 
even to say it. You know? I think maybe she heard them not want to be turned into oh, vampires yeah. and she thought she'd get some sympathy. Well, the other thing that is strange is she's like, I can't run away because they'll just find me. Let me help you run away. Yes. The kids don't really think it through. They don't They don't pick up on much of, on much of what she's saying. They also found a va- bottle of vampire blood in the side pocket of the coffin. So they're clinging to that. She leads them to the quote-unquote secret exit, but it's a lie. She's actually a vampire and she just wanted them for herself. Yes, which... I put, of course. Yeah. Especially since she said there's no real escape. Yeah. Like, um, but yeah, it's kind of ghost camp now we're back in where this girl leads them away and it's so she can have them to herself to eat them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at this point I noted that the plot felt like it was going really fast. The chapters, I feel like, are exceptionally short in this one. Yeah, you know, it's funny because... A lot I, of white space. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one, but I noticed my notes on it are also super short. So they open the vampire breath. She doesn't want them to, but I don't know why. <laughs> and then they find out that it's empty anyway. Yeah, uh, she says the castle's full of empties because these vampires just have to keep going through bottle after bottle. And I guess they don't have a bottle return program. Or they're waiting for the point in time at which they'll be able to redeem them for like five cents a pop. <laughs> I wonder when all of these vampires just left, you know? Maybe when there's no castle. They're like, oh, i got to find an apartment now. Wait, maybe the whole town's populated with vampires. Or maybe they went out of business because they turned everyone into vampires and they had no one to manufacture vampire breath. Because mm. it's a pyramid scheme. Yes. <laughs> I'm comes... not going to leave this alone. No, I think it's a really good insight. Then Count Nightwing shows up and they start fighting. I just couldn't stop picturing what we do in the shadows here. Yeah, that fight. Floating around in the air, hissing at each other. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's an old, old man fighting a child. Yeah. Freddie and Kara run away. They find the room full of empties, and then Nightwing is going to get them, but then he's like, aha, I remember where I left the full bottle. I hid it in all the empty, I hid it among all the empty bottles. Freddy gets it, they tussle, they play monkey in the middle, like we do with our dog. Yeah. He likes it, by the way. Yes, Franklin likes playing monkey in the middle. Yes. He likes snatching the toy out of the air and then laughing at us. <laughs> the laughing might be a little, little, uh, interpretation. But... Wagging his tail at us. Yeah. Anyway, they end up breaking the bottle, and then there's a mist, and then they get back to their own time, and my next note just says how. I don't know. Maybe they were thinking of the right time? It, it's not it clear how it works. Cause it seems it... to only transport them between two points of t- points in time. <laughs> well, maybe it transports you back to whatever time the closest vampire nearby has lived up to. But wouldn't vampires have lived longer than the 90s? Well, yeah, but not yet. But... Nothing is yet when you're in 1880. I know it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) It really doesn't. What I'm saying is Count Nightwing has lived till 1996. So the vampire breath at this point can't transport him beyond 1996. But you're assuming that that's the end point in time, right? Like time has only gone up to 1996 and nothing else has happened yet. But I don't think that's how time... Like I think that because he'll clearly live on past that. And he's lived in the intervening years. And once he has, he'll be able to travel to those times. It's like you have to unlock the levels. So, you know, it's like he's defeat. He's gotten, you know, um, to level five, but he can't play level seven yet, but he can play levels one through four. But, and I'm sorry to use this phrasing, hasn't everything already happened? <laughs> Isn't everything already I think it's in existence? more solipsistic than that, the way vampires live and the way vampire breath works. But what I'm saying is, like, 1996 isn't the end point in time. I really don't know how to explain what I'm saying. And actually, one of my notes in theories, just as a question, is, is time linear? Because I don't think it technically is. Like, we, we need to ask a physicist. Well, Goosepunks, this seems like a good opportunity for them to weigh in. Yeah, but I feel like, I don't know, like, if you look in a religious framework, right, where it's like... We always love to do that. Yeah, like, everything already exists because, like, God already knows what's going to happen and blah, blah, blah. Does that sound right? It 
Yeah, everything's foreordained. So, like, Count Nightwing doesn't die in 1990s. I'm not, sorry, I'm not explaining that. Like, yes, in 1880, it's possible that 2000 still exists, but because Count Nightwing hasn't experienced it, for him it doesn't exist, so he can't go to it. But an iteration of him has will experience it and has experienced it. But, like, you're just assuming that 2000 hasn't happened yet, whereas if time travel exists, I feel like that means that you can move forward into the future. So... Some some version of you exists at a future point in time if you're an immortal. But couldn't you have time travel that doesn't allow you to travel into the future? But they do, because it happens in this book. The future beyond the point that you've lived up to. Maybe. But again, like, this current instantiation of you, like, what about the multiverse? Like, what about... I don't know. You're I assuming just, there's a multiverse. I guess so. Ugh, I don't know how to explain this. It just... I just feel like time doesn't work this way. Well, I think there's not a good explanation of how vampire breath works. So probably the more, the most plausible explanation is whatever vampire, whatever, whoever's closest to the vampire breath is intending will happen in their head. What they're like, I want to go to 1996. I guess so. It's giving Freddy a lot of credit. I mean, not so much credit as proximity <laughs> to something. To be consciously thinking about that instead of just, oh no, it's smelling. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, how do you think it works? I don't think it, I don't know. It, it broke my brain. I Again, I have so many questions. One of which is just in all caps, how does time work? Because <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, like, I do understand what you're saying. That if there's a way to travel back and forth in time, then you would think that it doesn't matter which point you've lived up to, like, the future and past still exist. Because, I mean, Count Nightwing travels to what he thinks is the future, right? Even though he has been continually existing all that time. He doesn't travel to what he thinks is the future. He's, at some point after 1880, ended up sleeping in a coffin, and he wakes up in 1996. And then he moves to the past, and he moves back to 1996. Right. But, like, what's also weird about that is there's, like, only one of him. Uh-huh. You know? That is really weird about it. Maybe there's not only one of him. Maybe there's another of him sleeping in a coffin somewhere that presumably well, he was going to take his fangs from. Yeah. Um, well, Maybe? That's, a, that's another weird thing is, like, he clearly thought he left his fangs in the past. Well, I mean, that raises the question for me of what if all of the vampires in this castle besides Gwendolyn are just Count Nightwings who are traveling back and forth from different points in time? See that? I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so he just like keeps going places and coming back. And that means another one of him exists. But it wouldn't because it's the same. Uh. <laughs> I guess I just feel like the fact of being able to travel to time in the future means that a timeline already exists with you in it at some point in the future because the future exists even if we haven't experienced it yet. I think that's what I'm getting at. And I would say the future doesn't exist even if we haven't experienced it yet. Hmm. That would be my read of the situation. It's sort of like you're tunneling, right? And you haven't tunneled all that way. And you can like go back down the tunnel, but you can't go forward down the tunnel until you've tunneled through. But like time travel is like a tunnel shortcut where you don't have to tunnel anymore. You just jump to a different point where you haven't actually tunneled yet. But there's no tunnel past 1996 at this point. You have to charge through time I guess to bring it into existence I guess so that's what I would see this mm. as suggesting there's an end point that keeps moving forward and then how is that related to the ability to make your skin nicer or your bones keep your bones from drying out they might be selling a load of garbage <laughs> in they might do nothing this. is what you're saying and they're well, just trying to hawk some bullshit it does sound like the vampires need it to survive so so also okay I gotta wait for theories but did vampires exist before vampire breath it's a chicken and egg question because yeah. they need it to survive i wonder if at one point it was found naturally mm. but then something has happened that's made us have to manufacture it the way that you know it's possible to find b12 vitamins in plant material in nature but when you get food that is bought 
from a farm, it's not going to have B12 vitamins in it. And that's why you have to take nutritional yeast. Yeah. I was thinking of how sheep used to naturally shed their fleece, but humans have bred them such that they won't shed it so that we have to shear it. That's a perfect example. Is it? Yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe at one point this was something vampires excreted naturally or something, but yeah, something's changed in their lifestyle. Or maybe they there was a something that they fed off of that supplied them with vampire breath, and that's now gone extinct. Maybe because it's an 1880 story. Maybe they oh, hunted yeah. something to extinction. Oh fuck, you're right. Of course they did. It was the 19th century, right? So they get humans for blood, and there's something else they get the breath from, like I don't know Neanderthals or something. And then now there's no more Neanderthals, or just like some actual animal, the dodo. Like, like what if we put up a factory here instead? Yeah, yeah, yeah from dodos. <laughs> so. We get back to 1996. Freddy and Kara are freaked out because Nightwing is there too, and they didn't mean to bring him. They didn't bring Gwendolyn, though, so she's not there. Then Mom and Dad show up, and it turns out that Mom is Nightwing's daughter, and he says, Cynthia? And she says, Daddy, you're awake. And then his fangs are in a glass in the bathroom that Freddy's apparently never noticed is in their basement, and it's full of all kinds of supplements, actually, so your pyramid scheme thing makes a lot of sense because... That's how you end up with a lot of bottles of useless stuff you can't offload. And, you know, though, I think they're at the top of the pyramid because that's how you end up with a basement with two bathrooms and an air (laughs) hockey table. Yeah, I guess so. And a secret tunnel leading to a coffin room. (laughs) This is the Amway of vampires. Are you suggesting that people at the top of pyramid schemes have bodies in their basement? I'm not saying that in any way that could be construed as legally responsible for that statement. (laughs) At least metaphorically. There you go. So then they say, like, oh, here are your fangs. We can go out hunting. And they just go out and very casually tell Freddy that he's a vampire but won't get his fangs for another hundred years. I think they tell him to go eat sandwiches, even though we just established that vampires don't eat, don't use their kitchen. What has he been eating all of these years? And what have his parents been eating? Has he noticed that they never eat? I feel like we don't have enough information to make sense of this. Mm-hmm. But they go looking, him and Kara go looking through the weird bottles in the bathroom and oh, sorry. And then I got hung up on the fact that mom and dad were very chill about the broken china. I was like, oh, that's nice of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe they felt like they had to make up for the fact that they've been holding a big secret from their kid this whole time. Yeah, there you go. They're like, you don't blame us for this. We won't blame you for that. <laughs> Even Stephen. <laughs> yeah. So this is our final fake out. They uh, find a bunch of bottles of something called werewolf sweat. They open it and Kara growls. Yeah. Her last word is growl. Yeah. And my last note is, but dogs don't sweat. That's true. Maybe. So it must be like when you're in person form, they bottle the sweat and then it's like... That makes sense. Yeah. When the werewolf's just a dowdy man who <laughs> works at a shop. So maybe Kara is a werewolf. Good for her. I mean, they're both aggressive, so it kind of makes sense. I think it makes sense too. Does it's... the werewolf-vampire rivalry exist in this universe, do you think? I mean, if so, we're set up for a real Romeo and Juliet story. There you go. With the two of them. Mm-hmm. But I love that they, you know, have found each other, someone else who wants to bite. Yeah. Bite and wrestle. Bite and fight. <laughs> Horror taxonomies? First off, first off, we have secret door slash hidden world, you know, yeah. in, in your very own home. And so, of course, the classic example is C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That weirdo. Yeah. I don't know anything else about the rest of the series. That's literally, this is the one book I know, and I really only remember the beginning. But It gets weird. Oh, I'm sure. But, yeah, the idea that in your boring, mundane household is, like, something of untold, incredible, fantastical value is, yeah. is I think, a, a really common, I don't know, kid fantasy. That'll transport you to somewhere more interesting and also more dangerous. But yes. then you can come back through to the safe world, a, a bigger person. Yeah. Although, of course, your passage will be threatened, right? Will right. you really be able to go back to your own world? 
The Phantom Toll Booth is another one. Did you ever feel around at the back of closets to see if they had a portal in them? I don't think I did. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. <laughs> I was. I discovered Narnia uh, much later, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you... So this is my favorite fact about the Narnia books. So do you remember how there's the four kids? Sure. There's like two boys and two girls. Sure. And the older girl... She goes to hell at the end of the series. Really? Yeah, because she likes boys. Oh, my God. Yeah, C.S. Lewis, this is what happens. is like the other three kids get to make it into heaven. And then they're like, oh, she was too distracted with, like, boys and frivolousness, so she just never made it. Isn't that fucked up? That's really fucked up. I think he didn't like women very much. Shocker. A real shocker on Shock Street there. <laughs> I mean, he liked his wife a lot, but I don't think he had much respect for women in general. Well, fun. Yeah. I think he was very intimidated by women's sexuality specifically. He just wanted to go jump in a lake with J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, go do some some skinny dipping <laughs> in the greater Oxford area. <laughs> well, I had a related one to what you said, which was body in the basement slash entity in the house. Because when I first heard about this coffin in the basement, I was thinking mom and dad killed a guy, you know? Yeah. And then our, and I hid the body. Either that or whoever lived in the house before them killed a guy. Or it's a girl in the box situation. Yeah. Oh, terrifying. So the example I had of this was Blood and Flesh, The Real Life and Ghastly Death of Al Adamson, which is a documentary that was on Shudder, I think is where we watched it. It was about this guy who made all these D-list movies and was kind of kooky and ended up getting brutally murdered and like buried under the pool, I think it was. A hot tub, yeah. And they eventually found out who killed him. But it's a really scary, twisted story. I highly recommend. And I also thought, I thought of the movie Stir of Echoes, which we've seen, you know, where there's a girl, uh, her dead body stuck in a basement. And I found out as I was looking into it. So first of all, Ileana Douglas is in that movie, and she's so good. The woman who's in also Six Feet Under, and um, what's that Nicole Kidman movie where she's the reporter who kills her Oh, boyfriend? To Die For. Yeah, in To Die For. She's just such a good actress. But Stir of Echoes, in that she hypnotizes Kevin Bacon in to be more open-minded, and he starts hearing these transmissions from this dead body in a basement. But what I found out about Stir of Echoes is it was written by, uh, it was based on a novel by Richard Matheson. Oh, really? Yeah, who wrote a bunch of Twilight Zone episodes. Like, oh, cool. Uh, what's that, Terror at 20,000 Feet? Yeah, and like really, yeah, just famous, also sci-fi writer. Yeah, he wrote sci-fi I Am Legend. Yeah. So I had no idea he was behind Stir of Echoes. And of course, the most famous murder house well, not most famous, but a prominent murder house I thought of was the one in America, American Horror Story Murder House. Yeah, the first season called Murder House. Yes. And if this is a place where vampires lived, it's definitely a murder house. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that means Freddy's parents are murderers, and he will also become a murderer. Or he's going to stop thinking of killing humans as murder. Yeah. It's like, when are you going to tell me meat is murder? No. <laughs> exactly. What else do you have? Uh, well, I had just child vampires. Uh, I've already flagged Interview with a Vampire. Yeah. And I believe Twilight goes in this direction as well. But the idea that uh, you have this sort of eternal predator trapped in a very innocent, young-looking body. Yeah. Um, I have not read Interview with a Vampire, so I don't know really her backstory, but she's a really sad character in the movie. I've read it. And it's a similar character in the yeah, book. Yeah. It's uh, sort of related to an idea that we've brought up a few times, like feral children, right? Which is you can't totally trust them to obey adult laws in society. And then, like, what happens if you make them eternal and give them all this, like, power? They'll abuse it. Unlike <laughs> yeah. adults. Right. Well, that's a funny thing. It's this weird paradox where, on the one hand, the child vampire is imagined to have less self-control than the adult vampire. And that's what makes them dangerous. And they're perpetually stuck in that state of not having 
you know, as people like to say, oh, your your frontal cortex isn't fully formed and you can't make decisions, which sometimes I think, is that true or are you just trying to keep keep a child down, right? <laughs> well, I, you, your brain is still forming. Well, I know that yes. part, but I just, I question whether every 12-year-old is less good at making decisions than every 30-year-old. I think that, yeah, what you're getting at is 30-year-olds sometimes aren't very good at making decisions. <laughs> and weigh, weighing outcomes and... Anyway, but then the other thing that happens in the child vampire stories is they are like grown up beyond their years and then it's hard for them. This was a big one in Interview with the Vampire because Anne Rice gets really pedophilic sometimes. Is I remembered you saying that and I didn't really remember it and I didn't want to look it up. Oh, it gets explicit and nasty. But this idea that they want to have adult experiences bear trapped in a child's body. Yeah, that's icky. I know. But, I mean, I'm not the one writing vampire child stories. That's true. And even Twilight goes in this direction where they make a big deal about how Bella and Edward's kid is, like, super hot, right? And it's like, oh, she's, like, not like a baby. She's slimmer. And it's like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) And also, uh, Jacob is imprinted on her. Yep. From the day she's born. Exactly. So I think a lot of times child vampire stories are ways, roundabout ways for people to think about child sexuality Mm. in a way that they are kind of, they have plausible deniability. And I'm sure it's not even conscious, but the pattern reflects that this is what people are gesturing towards. Fucked up, huh? Yuck. And part of that is just because vampirism is super sexualized, right? Mm -hmm. Penetrating someone, the bleeding, sucking, all of that. But Absolutely. It, it's this weird thing where it gets tied in with consumption, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a crossed wires of the oral and genital. Mm. What else you got? I also had vampires in general. Because mm-hmm. they don't have a, very many vampire stories in the Gooseverse. So I thought about child vampires. The one I really thought of was Carmilla mm. from the Sheridan Le Fanu story. Famous early lesbian vampire. Well, famous early lesbian story in general. But uh, actually would have been around the time that we traveled to. Around 1880. Anyway... It's about a girl who, she's like young, like teen, maybe, and she meets another girl who's about her age who turns out to be a vampire and is fixed on her as the one she wants. Uh, and, and Carmen Maria Machado, who we mentioned uh, in our episode on Fear Street 1994, she recently edited a edition of Carmilla that's really, really good and much more grounded in uh, than previous ones have been in what was going on with lesbians in the 19th century. So I would recommend checking that out. And then another couple vampire stories I thought about were the first film in the anthology film, The Vault of Horror, which is called Midnight Mess, where the guy goes to that town that everyone turns out to be a vampire. Felt like that was a little bit Freddy's experience in this. Yeah. Turns out everyone around him is a vampire. But they don't want to eat him. Or actually they do. They don't, just don't know. They might I guess they eat- can't recognize their own kind. Yeah. It'd be like... Seems dangerous. Yeah, it'd be like people not realizing they were killing and eating another person. Mm-hmm. I mean... That's upsetting. It is. I didn't think about that aspect of it. I mean, maybe that's why the other bats weren't going for him. But Count Night- Nightwing sure didn't seem to mind. Maybe he's a cannibal. Maybe he also needed his glasses. <laughs> I guess I'll just... I'll stop with those ones. Are you sure? Yeah. What else did you have? Family Secrets or You Don't Know Who You Really Are. Mm. Uh, I thought about the movie Raw, which is about a veterinary student who discovers that her sister is a cannibal. That's such a good connection. And her whole family Her is. whole family, yeah. All the women are. Th- yeah. And 
that's that's her legacy now. Uh, there's also, of course, hereditary, finding out your mother invoked demons and was going to use your children for that. And then, of course, society, uh-huh. where you find out everyone does weird orgies and turns into creepy monsters. Their bodies meld together mm-hmm. and faces come out of butts. Yeah, exactly. Things. Yeah, those are really good examples. And I guess part of that is just an adolescent story, right? You know, you've gone through childhood thinking things are a certain way and you didn't realize what was waiting for you and how weird it was going to get. Mm-hmm. And I think just as the secret door leading to a secret place is the sort of exciting version of that, I think that maybe there's the fear slash hope around discovering that you are something you didn't realize you were. Yeah. Because probably there's the idea of like, oh, what if I'm secretly a superhero, secretly a princess, secretly a wizard? But also there's the fear of like, oh, I didn't realize I was a monster. Yeah, that's really good. Although, again, I feel like whenever a story is like, oh, it's so such torture to be a monster... Like, how would it be? Edward Cullen is always like, oh, I feel so bad that I'm a demon. And it's like, you have a really nice life. Yeah. Look at your haircut. I like that this one didn't go that direction. They're like, you have an air hockey table. Yeah. You have parents that are like, yeah, whatever, just hang out. Have but fun. At, at first you, Freddy... have, you have a babysitting gig where you get five bucks. <laughs> but Freddie thinks he doesn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, become one. Yeah, he seems, I mean, emotional development is not really R.L. Stein's strong suit, but like he seems fine with it when he realizes he already is. Like his little face, he's like, all right, I guess I'm going about my life now. Yeah, I think he's a little stunned and hasn't totally processed the information <laughs> yeah. or what it's going to mean for him. So I had supplements. In front of <laughs> and so I thought about, first of all, the series True Blood, because remember how in that... Um, I've never seen it. Oh, so part of the idea in that is, first of all, vampire blood has become this illegal drug that humans will take to increase their energy and libido and stuff. And then the other thing is vampires have been able to, quote unquote, come out of the coffin because a company has manufactured imitation human blood that vampires can drink and survive. It's called True Blood, T-R-U Blood. (laughs) So I was thinking about this idea of a world of vampires relying on some kind of manufactured uh, substance as um, being really close to True Blood in that way. But then I thought about some other similar horror films that are about, about supplements. So obviously the big one everyone knows is The Stuff, where there's this addictive alien substance that's calorie-free, white, creamy, sugary stuff that comes out of the ground and it turns people into shells of themselves. They're just addicted to it. And it's partly about, um, you know, consumer culture makes you vapid is the idea. And so similarly, we here see that the vampires can't live without this without their bottles of vampire breath. And then I was looking up other films that are horror stories about supplements. And um, have you ever heard of Body Melt? No. It sounds so cool. I think it's Australian. And it's this story where people just wake up one day and they find these free supplement samples in their mailboxes and they start taking them and then they it just turns into a body horror nightmare. Cool. They all, like, die in grotesque ways. Nice. Yeah, it sounds cool. I want to watch it. Of course, the biggest horror stories related to supplements are actual stories about supplements. Yes. So I I recommend to everyone, if you're interested, check out the podcast Maintenance Phase, which is about weight loss culture and kind of taking a critical eye towards anti-fatness. It's a great podcast. Yeah. Do you have any others? Yeah, my last one is time travel horror. Yeah. So I was thinking about uh, time crimes, primer, triangle, where people sort of stumble into this time travel situation and then ultimately end up 
in some kind of loop or have to correct something or use that to perfect something. I and, and, and all of the unforeseen consequences that spin out from that. We obviously didn't see any of those in this, but I, of course, my mind was just going to like, there are so many things that can go wrong with time travel. <laughs> if there's ever a sequel to Vampire Breath, I feel like it would have to revolve around all the ways that time travel could make everybody's life a nightmare. Yeah. And now that I'm thinking about it, too, if you can travel back in time to when your vampire breath was full, could you travel back in time to yesterday before you killed the person whose blood you drank and then drink it again? Yeah, probably just the same person over and over again. Yeah. Or would you be like, oh, wait, I didn't have any sustenance from the day before because that person didn't exist. Could you go back in time and drain the blood of baby Hitler? (laughs) And I'm saying that tongue in cheek. I think that's a really stupid, (laughs) true or a what would you call it? Like a trope, yeah. argumentative trope. Yeah. But yeah, that's where my mind goes. I mean, you go and change yeah. the course of history. Yeah. I mean, you may wait till he's a teenager and get a better meal out of it. <laughs> <laughs> my final one was Toxic Substance Unleashed. So I don't know what the vampire breath actually does, but I thought it was going to be like the, um, I, I thought it might turn them into vampires. I think they don't totally know what it does, but I was thinking about beginning of Return of the Living Dead, where this factory leaks a gas that turns everyone into zombies. More like Welcome to Dead House, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they, they're definitely just opening bottles left and right of this stuff that they don't know what it does, which is classic goosebump practice. And like classic 19th century, right? We have this miracle, miracle drug. It's called heroin. It's perfectly safe. Yeah. It's also classic 1996, right? Yeah. And 2010, 2021. <laughs> Did you think it was 2010 for a <laughs> no, second? No, I just can't. I can't words. <laughs> Shared universe? Shared universe. Monster physiology. Yes. Lucy also has to wait for her fangs to grow in, as does her brother. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, are vampires related to monsters? And also, is it different to be born a vampire than to be turned into one? Like, Gwendolyn already has hers, even though she's clearly 12. Like, yeah. was she bitten and did she turn into one immediately? But maybe if you're incubated from a baby, you have to grow up into them for over 100 years. That makes Which a lot is weird because his parents aren't over 100 years old, but they must have eternal youth. Well, that's confusing because it seems like the grandfather ages. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just because he hasn't feasted. Mm, so he'll get younger when he sucks someone's blood. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because it seems like the breath makes them younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like supplements promise. Maybe Gwendolyn is like an addict and she's taken too much and that's why she looks so young. <laughs> if you overindulge, it will basically turn you into Terra from the Cuckoo Clock of Doom. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is maybe why it has to be a controlled substance. <laughs> is that why they can't find it freely in the 90s? It's an FDA regulated yeah. like schedule two drug. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I also thought about Lucy Dark. We had speculated that she seemed similar to a vampire, and so did Mr. Mortman. So maybe what we call vampires are just the bat form of whatever Lucy is. Mm. And so her parents are like the cat form of it, and Mr. Mortman is the bug-eyed monster form of it. But maybe it's all different types of the same human-eating shapeshifter, and you just have different creatures maybe that you turn into almost like an animorph (laughs) so monster is to primate as the darks are to humans and and count nightwing is to orangutan or something or like cro-magnon man yeah 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 i think that that's where i would go who's a lemur then (laughs) (laughs) 
Mr. Mortman, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to spoil too much, but I think this might be relevant to the next book. Mm, Cool. Yeah. Which I read this morning. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. Well, I had a question about the manufacturer of Vampire Breath, which is, is it manufactured by the same people as Monster Blood? It makes it possible to go invisible. So is it is its technology in any way incorporated into the mirror in Let's Get Invisible? Vampires can't be seen in mirrors. And Yeah, it's true. Well, also, is it related to the stones from A Night in Terror Tower or right. the Cuckoo Clock of Doom? Yeah, but the time-traveling properties, I feel like it must be extracts of all these different things, right? So just mixing shit together. I bet it's fucking Mordred. <laughs> this, is how, this is how he's supporting those children now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, by selling vampire breath. That yeah. would make so much sense to me. Mordred had to do something to afford the, what was it, Burger Palace Burgers? <laughs> and also to, like, just live in the 20th century yeah so it sounded like you had a lot of questions i you know i've ultimately ended up asking them because i'm just looking at my notes yeah in the future the bottle is empty but in 1880 it's still full so like people versus objects right any relation to night and terror tower how does time work the fuck is vampire breath is the next note after that the fuck is it i don't know uh, also because it's like gaseous it's not so it's bottled and like kept under pressure but like i don't know maybe it's something like cocaine that just makes you feel really good so it's not that it actually enhances your wellness you just feel really good exactly yeah you're just like, like oh man high. i time traveled you're like no time just went by really fast for you right it's just an upper what happened to this family in the intervening 110 years they went from castle on a cliff to house in the suburbs but again maybe that's just the natural evolution from robber baron to head of a pyramid scheme yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they probably have a nice house. It could be on a big hill. Again, they have a basement with two bathrooms. Yeah. Imagine how many bathrooms they have in the rest of their house. Probably more than two. <laughs> oh, yeah. My last one. Do you think R.L. Stein is suspicious of latchkey families? Because, like, mm. as soon as the parents were, like, gone and not around very much, I was, like, oh, immediately suspicious. Do you think R.L. Stein wants to keep the parents in the home? It gotta be supervising. Yeah. Even when they are, though, it's always, they're always distracted, right? Like, yeah. Evan's dad. Or, like, the ones who came home were like, we had a bad day at work, you're going to bed early. Yeah. I think Arlstein might not himself be suspicious of working families as one of the two parents in a two-parent working household. But, okay, it could be one of two things. One, maybe he's just dealing in the mid-90s anxiety about working families, which seems possible. He picks up on stuff that's going on in the culture and doesn't really question it. He just puts it in the story. Or the other thing is, maybe he is suspicious of working families because he's part of one. He's like, (laughs) I don't know what Matt does all day. And he's like, Matt doesn't know what I do all day. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what what do parents do when they don't work at home and just fix themselves a bologna sandwich in the middle of the day? (laughs) And they work in an office. Yeah, yeah, maybe he's very suspicious of people who go out of their apartment. I mean, me too, man. (laughs) What about you? Well... Oh, actually, I have one more. Remind me to come back to it. I want to pick up on the important reference Count Nightwing drops to the book of Matthew, chapter four, mm-hmm. where in the wilderness, Jesus is tempted by the devil to turn some stones into bread. And Jesus says, don't the scriptures say man does not live by bread alone, which is actually a quote from Deuteronomy eight, where God says to everyone, didn't I give you manna in the wilderness <laughs> so that you would know that you wouldn't live by bread alone? So my question is, what 
does this reference have to do with the story? And where I went with this was thinking about how it's um, man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so it's like more like you're living on God than on real bread. And then I was like, that's like the Eucharist, you know, you're living on God. And then I'm like, oh, is R.L. Stein kind of thinking about, you know, or encouraging us to think about the ways in which the Eucharist is a vampiric feast. So I'm positive Arlstein is not thinking about that or encouraging us to think about it, but we can. So then is the vampire breath the host, whereas the blood is just the blood? Yes. No. So there's no bread. It's it's blood and gas. Is yeah. What they, is what they do. This, this is version, my gas. Drink of it. You inhale. Sniff of it. <laughs> it's like the incense in Catholic churches. Sure. You um, have the except sentence. you need it to live, right? The same way you like need the host to live eternally or whatever yeah yeah so this is like the black mass of the goosebumps books <laughs> yes exactly it's the it's a vampire slash monster substitute for the eucharist and we just and got it's a, calorie free <laughs> and we just got a little piece of their scripture that yeah. grandpa was quoting or he was making a pun he seems to like dad jokes actually that also relates back to the story of the devil in the wilderness because he quotes scripture mm. and jesus is like yeah even the devil can quote scripture so it's so, not special. It's not special that you know it. But then here we have the vampiric grandpa blasphemously quoting scripture or referencing it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have another thing, but you go ahead. Uh, I was wondering if we could read an addiction narrative here. Yes. Go go on. Care, do you care to elaborate? Grandpa's addicted to vampire breath and he's willing to kill for it. And it's all he can think about. I don't know. I'm going to hang out with your grandfather while he's jonesing. <laughs> it's like Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. Uh, except that he's exposing them to it, too. And mm-hmm. then at the end, they, like, get into their parents' stash, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I, I think it could be about that that danger. And presumably now Freddy is going to be addicted, too. Passed along down the generations. If he's a vampire, how is he? When they need it, why hasn't he been exposed to it? Ah, whatever. Maybe you can. <laughs> There's so many questions, Andy. <laughs> Maybe you don't need it till you have fangs, mm. till you start drinking blood actively. Or maybe it's actually in their HVAC system and he's just not aware of it. Oh, that makes sense, actually. And <laughs> they're like, Grandpa, you don't even need these bottles anymore. We've totally, you know. We made this patch. It's invisible. No one will see it when you're out in right. your yoga clothes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They've all got nicotine patches. Nice. So I had two things I was thinking about. One kind of went nowhere. Um, so I <laughs> I was wondering about the grandparent-grandchild misrecognition moment. I was thinking about Oedipus, and I was like, what does Freud have to say about grandparents? Do you know what Freud has to say about grandparents? Nothing. He says nothing about grandparents. Isn't that weird? That is weird. Especially because I was reading about this. The one time he ever cried was when his four-year-old grandson died suddenly. And he said he could never feel happy again after that. Wow. So he clearly had feelings about grandparent-grandchild relationships and just did not ever write about it. Man, imagine if he had gone an anal- to an analyst and talked about that. I know. I know. <laughs> if only we could, only we had some vampire breath and could time travel and ask him about it. Oh, God. I, I just, no. <laughs> you speak German. <laughs> you could ask him. And then... What did prove fruitful, though, so I was kind of hung up on all the gas lamps in this book. Mm -hmm. The castle is decorated with gas lamps and we get we just get a lot of mentions of them and also flashlights. 
And so it was reminding me of a uh, person I went to grad school with, Lane Gibson, who wrote his dissertation about the use of artificial light in 19th century uh, narratives. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, he writes about Proust, George Eliot, Thomas Hardy, and uh, how they thematize uh, the gas lamp and then the electric light as ways of talking about how these technologies enable different types of transgressions. So set to these artificial lights will be things that depart from the traditional mores of society. For example, pursuing a writing ambition as a woman up late at night. Excuse me, I feel personally attacked right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or um, engaging in some kind of cross-class romance. Mm. Also, apparently there is a subgenre of contemporary fiction called gaslamp fantasy, which is Victorian slash Edwardian gothic it's just some gas lamps, and they're like, ah, we'll call it that. It's a very, very ambiance. They're a significant image because it was something that enabled people to be out and about at night and created new possibilities for danger, yeah. but also for experience. And that's certainly what these two kids are after and what they get. Yeah, I like that. Thank you. What are we reading next? Next week, we are reading Calling All Creeps. Yes, everyone likes that one. Oh, we should uh, rate this one. What would you rate it? Like 3.75, I think. Hmm. Enjoyed it. Stuff happened in it. I had so many questions. I would have given it a four, but as we've been talking, I'm really irritated by how little sense it makes. <laughs> so also 3.75 for me. Yeah. Why is there not a second grandpa when they travel back in time? How does that make sense that there's not two of him? If he's traveling back in time to his... Right, because he... he didn't like leave his time period to come to the future. Yes. Too many time paradoxes bumps it down to 3.75 for me. Take that. What do you, th how does time work, Goosepunks? You tell us. Yeah, you can get in touch with us to explain time and vampire breath, psychoanalytic takes on grandparents. Pyramid schemes. Pyramid Just schemes. tell us about pyramid schemes. <laughs> Were you in one? You're trying to sell us one? <laughs> you can get in touch with us at saypodanddie at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at saypodanddie. And if you got a minute and got the inclination, we'd love it if you would leave us five bewares and a glowing review on Apple Podcasts to help other goosepunks find, find out that they're goosepunks after all. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe also. Yeah, do that. Listener beware. Those, Those were the scares. Good boo. Good boo. Is there really a way out down here? Kara asked Gwendolyn. Kara's voice echoed in the narrow tunnel. Gwendolyn nodded. Yes, follow me. There is a secret exit through the castle cellar. Our footsteps thudded on the hard tunnel floor. Up ahead of us, Gwendolyn's blonde hair glowed like a torch leading the way. I leaned close to Kara and whispered, This is great! We're getting out of here! And we're taking the vampire breath with us! Kara raised a finger to her lips. We're not out yet. Gwendolyn stopped so suddenly we nearly walked into her. She turned slowly. The torchlight revealed a smile on her face. Are we here? Kara demanded. Where is the door? Yes, we're here, Gwendolyn replied in a whisper. We're all alone here. I have you all to myself. Her smile grew wider. I'm so thirsty, Gwendolyn hissed. So thirsty. She grabbed me by the shoulders, and I felt the scratch of her fangs against my throat. 